how to start? Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're modern. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to the Creative Principles Podcast. I'm your host, Brock Swinson. Over the past 200-plus episodes, I've had the good fortune of speaking with dozens of screenwriters, actors, and directors, such as Aaron Sorkin, Mel Brooks, Carrie Fukunaga, Whitney Cummings, Michael Imperioli, and William Monaghan, among others. We've dissected ideas on story, character, filmmaking, habits, and various principles for creative life. If this is your first time listening, make sure to hit that subscribe button on iTunes or SoundCloud. You can also find several of these interviews on the Creative Screenwriting Magazine website, in addition to some that aren't available in audio, such as with Nick Kroll or Stephen Merchant. In addition to the podcast, also make sure to search for the new video essay series on YouTube, also called Creative Principles, where we take a deep dive into movies and television. Join millions of viewers for subjects like the 16 personalities expressed as characters, Did Home Alone, Rowan John Hughes' Career, The Greatest Movie Never Made, and How Jackie Chan Creates Perfection Through Failure, among many more. That's Creative Principles on YouTube. Zan Parker is a seasoned documentary producer obsessed with character. Across her career, she's worked on projects like The Hill, Racing Dreams, Big Man, Tigerland, and most recently, Rebuilding Paradise. The latest film, directed by Ron Howard, focuses on the community of Paradise, California, a town in the Sierra Nevada foothills, and their attempt to rebuild after a devastating wildfire in 2018. In this interview, Parker talks about the history of documentary filmmaking, how to quickly make decisions or pivots as true stories unfold, how to choose subjects within a story, and how to tell the truth about the spirit of what happens. Started out at Mabel Films uh, when I first came to New York and got into the business. And I don't know if you know anything about documentary history, but the Mabel Brothers were part of the direct cinema movement in the 60s, um, even going back to the 50s, actually. And they were part of kind of bringing cinema verite into the America storytelling way of doing things. So um, I really consider that my film school, and I just learned everything I could from the people there and decided producer was what I wanted to do. If I could make more stories um, come to life at one time. <laughs> Is there like a certain uh, type of criteria you look for, or even looking kind of in hindsight at your whole career, what are some of the things you look for in a story? Um, I look for, you know, I kind of can't help it. It's, it's characters first, even though that's not how in the end you tell the story. You don't only use characters to tell the story, but I always look for characters that are people that I would want to live with for an hour and a half that I would want to hear from and whose life experience or story I don't know anything about, and I will um, be taken to a new place and into a new mindset. So. Uh, tell me a little bit about Rebuilding Paradise. How did that kind of start to come together? Who, who kind of initiated the project and those type of things? 
Yeah, so the project was actually initiated by Ron and his um, then assistant, now one of his executive producers, named Louisa Vellis. Um, Louisa Vellis was talking to Ron Howard uh, in their office one day about the horrible fires that were taking place. So this takes us back to November 2018. And Ron uh, had some family in Northern California, in that part of California, and was, you know, very personally um, empathetic um, about the tragedies that were taking place. And so when they read that there was this town called Paradise that had burned down, Louisa said to Ron, what if we made a film about it? And what if we called it Rebuilding Paradise and see what happens after the fire? And it was really just a one, it was really one day in which the town burns down. And so it, there was sort of this starting point that Ron could act on. And then I joined the team shortly thereafter, along with uh, the two producers who lead his documentary division, Justin Wilkes and Sarah Bernstein. And together we went on the journey. Logistically, what are some of those first steps? You mentioned, um, I think in the in the trailer, it says this, this whole fire took place in three or four hours. Then obviously there was mm-hmm. all the catastrophe afterwards. But um, like, like I took uh, Ken Burns' documentary film class not long ago, and it's most documentaries go in a linear fashion, but what are some other elements yeah. that kind of come into play? Well, you know, just to quickly touch on that idea of, you know, looking back at history and that's what Ken Burns does is he mm-hmm. goes back and unpacks it and then writes the script and, you know, presents the story in a new way. This was really a situation in which we had to build the airplane as it was flying. I think mm-hmm. that's the thing. Um, when we got there, there was already so much happening. In fact, some of the most important things that would happen in the film were already happening. And we had to really be able to make decisions very quickly and on whose story we would follow, what, um, what thread lines we would document, and, you know, what would we follow the government? Would we follow the recovery workers? Would we follow the townspeople and then what, you know, different elements of the town we would follow. And it's, it it was one of the toughest things that I've ever done as a documentary filmmaker. Um, I know Rob was new to it and (laughs) pulled a lot of people around him on his team, you know, and who had done it before. Um, But it was one of the toughest things I've ever done in terms of making this decision so quickly and then, you know, put constantly keeping myself in a in a place where, and my team in a place where we could pivot at any given moment to incorporate something else that was happening in terms of the recovery. Mm. What, what was kind of some of that sense of urgency? Was it also to get it on the network or what kind of like created that clock for you or deadline? Well, actually the wonder of working with someone at Ron Howard's level is <laughs> that, um, you know, so many of the, the studios and networks out there are, are thrilled to be able to collaborate with him and because of what a master he is. And therefore we weren't really on a deadline in terms of finishing the project, but we were on a deadline in terms of daily, what we had the opportunity to capture, uh, which is why Ron constructed the team. such that he did, which is that he uh, chose me and um, another producer, Liz Morheim to go out, to California and spend um, a great deal of time on the ground, uh, kind of embedding ourselves in the community. But every single day, there would be something that would happen that you would have to make that choice. Are we going to capture that on film or are we going to let that go and go over another direction? So those were the daily deadlines. And then we had actually really 
great, wonderful luxury of having National Geographic as our partner who just wanted us to take the time that we needed to then craft the story once we were back uh, in the cutting room. I guess, like, what are some of the logistics of the characters you choose besides just, you know, I'm sure there's some that are just instantly, their stories are amazing and those type of things, but I know you, you'd want some variety. You kind of end with a, a football game, like you could, you know, one way would be to follow a football team, but it's really about the town. How do you kind of decide mm-hmm. to, like, what number of characters and those type of things to put in a story like this? That Those are really hard decisions, and that's a really good question. Um, in this particular situation, we probably started out following about 15 different characters, whether they were families or individuals. Some of them were elected officials. Some of them were firemen. Um, and then it really wasn't until we got to the editing room that we started to hone in on a few small group of characters who we felt could tell the story. One of the things that I learned at Maple Films when I was really training to become a documentary filmmaker was that you won't be able to put everything in. You choose all the things that, that you feel could be good for the story, and in the end, you are going to manipulate it. You're going to cut it down to 90 minutes. It didn't happen in 90 minutes. You make choices that help you tell the truth about the spirit of what happened. And so that's how we decided uh, on the final group of characters and stories that we would tell. Do you decide in the very beginning the estimated length? Like, I mean, there's so many different miniseries and shows today. Like, I could easily see this being, I think it it is around 90 minutes, but it could easily probably be eight hours. You know, who kind of, who who makes some of those choices, you know? Yeah, we, we shot over, oh gosh. I bet we shot 330 hours of footage. Mm. And then, you know, the opening of the film um, is created out of cell phone footage and also of news footage that we gathered from the day of the fire. And gosh, I, I bet we had another 75 hours, maybe, I don't know, 75 hours or so of, of that type of, um, of media to work with. And yes, it could easily have been an eight part series. And, there were, you know, constructing that might have gone um, in the way of looking at each of the separate, separate seemingly insurmountable obstacles that come up after a disaster like this, that once most of us who watch something happening on television, we don't see, you know, we forget about, we don't consider that FEMA doesn't just come in with trailers, but sort of ways of complicating, you know, complicated parts of the FEMA process or that it isn't just a matter of like, we sweep it all into the dustbin. It's how, how is your insurance going to come in and pay for that? How is FEMA going to come in and play with that? What are you going to do with the trees that have to be cut down? Now the water has been contaminated. So each one of those could have been its own story. Um, but by the time we got to the end of the year, the people that we had been with had a really cohesive way of looking back at what they'd been through and they're still going through a lot. But um, once we kind of got to the year, we could really see how we could tie it all together. Was there talk about, you know, other catastrophes or other documentaries while making this? Or do you kind of stay away from some of those things just to make sure you're telling, you know, as original as possible? Oh, no, we were desperate for a roadmap. Um, You know, so many stories have plots that have been, you know, used over and over again, whether it's documentary or not. But for this one, um, 
I will say that in my career, I've gravitated towards what's my next challenge? How can I do something that's totally different than what I did before? So the year before, I had done a film on wildlife conservation. And I spent a lot of time in Eastern Russia and in India. And this year, you know, last year, I would do a film about a natural disaster and how a community recovers. Well, I hadn't done that before. So I looked a lot at, um, and, and Ron and Justin and Sarah and Liz, all of us looked a lot at the Spike Lee films that had been done that he had did about Hurricane Katrina. And I would have to say that in addition to his films, another film that really was compelling for us was Trouble the Water. Filmmaker, I can't remember right now. Um, but between uh, Spike Lee's kind of traditional approach to retelling that story, but digging into complicated issues, and then Trouble of what Trouble the Water, which is sort of a verite approach to and just kind of getting inside the lived experience of coming back from a tragedy. That um, between those two, we kind of found what our where our roadmap would be. You mentioned um, Ron Howard kind of had a, a personal connection to this story. What else have you kind of noticed? You, Spike Lee does does originals uh, or does documentaries, as is like Martin Scorsese and Werner Herzog. What are some of those trends? Do you feel like it's kind of an obligation that, that filmmakers feel like they need to tell real stories in addition to the, the fictional stories also? Uh, that's a great question. I mean, Ron's answer, which I love, is always that, you know, he started to consider it and he asked for advice from, from some other filmmakers um, who had, I think it was Jonathan Demme who he asked, um, about whether or not he should take the leap. And Jonathan Demme said, just dive in, just go for it, don't think, just go. And, you know, in many ways, that was the perfect advice for this particular film because there was really no other option besides just to go there, pick up the camera, start talking to people and see what you find. Um, it's never that simple, but you do have to take that first step. And I'm really glad Ron took this step because there was, was so incredibly fulfilling as someone who spent, you know, I spent my whole life making documentary films and so so it was Justin Wilkinson, Sarah Bernstein, and Liz Moreham, and to then have this master storyteller come over from the other side, so to speak, and apply his understanding of character and plot and, you know, how to put together, you know, the scenes and the acts in the film um, was just absolutely invigorating. He would see things that we might not have seen, you know, until we'd been months in the editing room, he would come in and see a cut and say, well, if you do X, Y, Z, I think you're going to find what you're looking for. And he was always right. <laughs> Are there some other maybe lessons learned or maybe even some like misconceptions you had, you know, when you first started about documentary filmmaking? Misconceptions that I had about documentary filmmaking? Yes. Um, well, you know, the reason why I went to New came to New York and, and, got this job at Maisel Films was that I saw the film Brothers Keeper in a theater in Baltimore where I grew up after graduating from college. And I remember looking at that film and thinking, I have no idea how they did this. They made a film. They've told me it's a documentary, but it looks like a regular movie. And I just didn't know that was possible. And I wanted to figure out how it was done. And that's why I went and got a job at a direct cinema shop. Um, I think that was sort of like the end <laughs> of the illusion for me. You know, I started to learn a lot about, you know, how you put the, the pieces in, in place. And um, I guess 
one of the one of the misconceptions that maybe everybody has, and I hope Ron won't mind me saying this, is that one person makes the film, and I, I think Ron would would say this too. Um, it's a team sport, and you know I think we all look in popular culture to who wrote this book or who, you know, wrote this song or sings this song or, or who made this movie. But yeah. it's it's a team sport making documentaries, and there's no uh, there's no way around that, and it is part of the um, great pleasure of making this kind of art. And um, I guess that was sort of the biggest conception, this conception maybe actually going back was that, uh, that it's a whole team that puts it together. It's not just one person. Do you have any specific advice for maybe some young documentary filmmakers who are coming up, like how to get started? Obviously that most people have a 4k camera on their phone. I mean, there's, there's, you can use, there's fair use laws. You can use all this old footage and things like that. Like if someone wanted to get noticed, what's something they might could kind of start with? Um, well, getting noticed these days is a very different thing, of course, because everyone has sort of the ability to get their work out through social media, which is wonderful. It's incredible because a lot of amazing talent has come out of it. And it's so important at this historical moment that we're living through I think that watching lots of documentaries that have come before is very important because you learn how many different ways that things can be done. And I do think that one of the best things you can do if you want to become a documentary filmmaker is to work on a film start to finish. Because only when you've seen it from the very beginning to the very end do you understand the many, many parts that have to come together and the many phases it has to go through and the many um, skills that you need. I've just got maybe one or two more. Is there any bad advice you commonly hear in your industry? That's a very good question. Um, I, <laughs> I think that, you know, I would be doing people wrong if I didn't say it's a hard, hard industry to make it in, but you know, any kind of filmmaking is very, very challenging and you have to really want to do it. Um, I don't, you know, I think I've been lucky. I don't think I've really gotten any bad advice. And just last question. This one might not fit, but is there anything out of all those hours of footage and your time, you know, doing some groundwork, is there anything that maybe didn't make the film that, that really stood out to you about the story? Oh my gosh, so much. You know, the, wide array of people who we got to know and whose families were fascinating and complicated and deeply, you know, entrenched in the area and the history of Northern California. Um, it was hard. It was hard to, to cut, to leave them on the cutting room floor, so to speak. Um, I, I think that if I thought it wouldn't bore people, <laughs> I know Ron is, so good at entertaining and he never would have let this happen but I think that if we could have put anything else in it might have been a little more just about the history of land use and how that was what really laid the tinder for that spark that came off of that PG&E you know electrical so I think that that's very academic and maybe is a story for another film but it's certainly something that you know I'd love to for people to learn about